I'm going to do this morning. I want to take, uh, as you know, I do those communion messages first of the month. Um, you can introduce a thought in communion, but it's really hard to fully explain a thought or a concept in a three to five minute setting. So what I want to do this morning is take a couple of those thoughts that I presented in communion and expand them a little bit, blow them up a little bit for you today, all right? My thought today is going to be the relentless pursuit of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your presence in this place. We thank you for worship. We thank you for a faithful team that leads us into worship every week. We thank you for faithful people that come and worship you. Lord, we just thank you for this week. We thank you for bringing us together at this time. I just if you would ask that you would help me to deliver this word this morning. Help this people to hear and receive this word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Relentless pursuit of the Lord. You are never too young to begin to relentlessly pursue the Lord. You are never too old to begin to relentlessly pursue the Lord. Relentless pursuit. Um, for a lot of people would be a step up from their current level of pursuit. But it's a good goal to reach for. What do you think of when you heard the word relentless? We think of someone who's tenacious. We think of someone who never gives up, who never gives in, who never stops, who never quits. That's what relentless is. On the police shows um, that you'll watch on TV, the police are relentless in their pursuit of the criminals. When the show is from the criminal standpoint, their point of view, they're relentless in trying to achieve what they want. They'll do any means necessary to, re to do that. They're relentless. Some of you people know if you watch the hunting shows or enjoy hunting, there's a show on called Relentless Pursuit. The show chronicles the attempts to study certain animals in their habitat, to study their habits, study their movements, study their feeding patterns, with the goal of successfully harvesting a trophy deer or a trophy elk or a trophy bear that they can then take home and display on the wall. Now, shooting a deer is not hard. If you own a gun and have a license, you can go out in the woods and get a deer. That's not a difficult thing to do. It might not be a magnificent deer, but it's not hard to go out and get a deer. Okay? I've known guys. This is why I believe that Oswald was the lone assassin in the Kennedy assassination. Anybody with a gun who points it might hit something. I've known guys that couldn't shoot worth two cents, and yet they go out in the woods with a gun and come home with a deer. Getting a deer is easy. Getting that big deer, yeah. that trophy deer, that deer that puts everybody else's deer to shame, that's hard. That takes some relentless pursuit of that trophy. You may not always realize it or be aware of it, but each one of us are involved every day in a lifelong episode of relentless pursuit. Only it's not a game, it's not a TV show, it's not a contest, it's a matter of life and death. What's at stake is eternal destiny in this pursuit. There are two pursuers in this drama. One who only wants to bring us eternal death. One who wants to give us eternal life. The term relentless itself means to show no abatement of severity or intensity. No abatement of severity or intensity. That pretty much describes our two pursuers today. They will not eat. They will not rest. They will not sleep. They'll never give up their pursuit of us. On the one hand, and you know this, I'm just trying to lay the groundwork here, we have an enemy whose greatest desire is to bring death to our souls. 
He has not a single compassionate thought for you. He doesn't care about you. He hates you. He hates what you stand for. If he finds you wounded along the side of the road, he's not suddenly going to be overcome with mercy and offer to heal your wounds to make it a fair fight. If he finds you wounded, he's going to try and shoot another arrow, inflict another wound, and another wound, and another wound. Anything he can do to try and break down your resolve to serve the Lord. That's what he'll do. 1 Peter 5, 8, y'all know it says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It's like those nature shows. You ever notice on there where the predator, as he studies and stalks a herd, he does not pick out the strongest one of the herd to attack. He identifies the weakest one. And then when that weakest one is singled out, that's when the predator will attack. That's how our one pursuer is. Maybe he won't be able to get you to renounce your relationship with the Lord. But he will spend your life trying to tear down elements of that relationship. Trying to tear down your faith. Trying to tear down your hope. Trying to tear down your confidence. But our other pursuer has the greatest desire for us, and that's life. So much so that he unselfishly shed his own blood to make it available to us. He also relentlessly pursues us with his free gift of eternal life. Once we have that received that, he relentlessly pursues us daily with provision that brings life more abundantly, that brings what we used to talk about, joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what he pursues us with. Now, the beauty of his pursuit is that it doesn't just take place when we are in what we would generically call a good time. It takes place, and perhaps even more so, when we're in the middle of what we would term a difficult time. Now, knowing that we have two suitors should spur us to some kind of action. We can't just sit there like the pretty girl at school and let the two boys fight over us to see who gets to take us to the dance. Okay? We need to become active in this pursuit. We need to be involved. If we know that the Lord is relentlessly pursuing us, then we need to step up and relentlessly pursue Him. We need to pursue Him in good times, but I think we really need to be mature enough and be disciplined enough to pursue Him in those difficult times. Why should we pursue Him in the difficult times? Opportunity. Opportunity. I have a tendency, and maybe you do, when things are bad, to pull away a little bit from the Lord. I don't know why I do it, but it's something I struggle with. I'll pull away and just not pursue. Like, I deserve this. I have to find my own way out of this. I have to figure it out myself. It's the wrong way to do it, but Unfortunately, it's what I do sometimes. Opportunity in a difficult time. The Lord will reveal himself to you in those good times if you pursue him. But I believe that we learn more about God's nature, about his character, about his faithfulness. I believe we learn more about ourselves and about our character if we will relentlessly pursue the Lord in times of grief of struggle, of frustration, and of loss. There's a level of peace we experience in battle that we don't experience when all is well. There's a level of comfort and hope we experience during grief and sorrow that we just don't experience when that loved one is still with us. Relentless pursuit of the Lord in these difficult times of life will teach us and equip us for what lies down the road 
but it will also help us to teach and encourage others who might be experiencing some of the same things. Remember that song, I've got joy in the time of sorrow? I've got peace in the raging storm. I've got faith that Jesus holds tomorrow, and I have hope resting in his arms. I don't know who wrote that song, but I know that the writer of that song was a relentless pursuer of the Lord to have those attitudes and those perspectives. Joy in the time of sorrow, somehow I can't explain it, but joy in the time of sorrow is sweeter than the joy you experience in the time of happiness. Peace in the raging storm is more precious than the peace that you experience during times of calm. Faith that Jesus holds tomorrow is deeper than when you're not all that concerned about tomorrow. And hope resting in his arms is stronger than when you're not totally resting in his arms. When you're, there's a difference in your hope when you're actually sitting in his lap and he's got his arms around you and when you're down running around at his feet. Okay, these things are different. They're more magnified. They're stronger. So how do we relentlessly pursue the Lord? Well, I'm sorry to say I don't have the right answer for you because there isn't one. There's no one right answer. There's no script that you can follow letter for letter that'll tell you in your walk with the Lord how you can relentlessly pursue him. Okay? It's, it's like asking what is the right way to grieve? The answer is there's no right way because it's going to be different for everybody. The duration of the grief will be different for everyone. Some people might grieve for a couple months. Some people grieve for years. Your expressions will be different. Some will cry buckets. Other people can't squeeze a single tear out when they're grieving. Um, stages of grief. Some, depending on your perspective, either a genius or an idiot, decided that there are five steps of grief, five stages. They say there's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now, one person will experience all of these at some stage during the grieving process. Another might experience one, two, three of these. One will experience them in a different order. Some may experience them several times. They might go through L5 several times. It's different for everybody. There's no right way to grieve. Likewise, there's no right way, no one way to relentlessly pursue the Lord. Sure. But I can tell you this, relentless pursuit must not just be about how much time you spend at it. Okay, now time is definitely consideration. Time is necessary in your relentless pursuit of the Lord, but don't make time the beginning and ending of that pursuit. Don't let an amount of time determine for your life if you're relentlessly pursuing the Lord or not, okay? There's a man named Donnie Sumner. He was a lead singer for the Stamps Quartet back in the 70s. Um, he left the Stamps Quartet, he left gospel music, got into rock and roll music. For several years, he relentlessly pursued an illegal drug habit. He said at one time he was spending over $200 a day. Now this is 1970s money. $200 a day on pills, cocaine, anything he could get his hands on. He said in an interview after he'd come back to the Lord that his dad had made a vow to the Lord that he would eat one meal a day and pray two hours a day for his son's salvation. Okay. His dad ate one meal a day and prayed two hours a day for nine years before he came back to the Lord. Now, if you are a casual pursuer of the Lord who wants to become a relentless pursuer of the Lord, don't do that. 
<laughs> okay? Don't set time limits. Because here's what's probably going to happen to you. You're going to say, and it's a good, it's a good goal to set. You're going to say, I'm going to spend one hour a day with the Lord. 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., that's the Lord's time. He gets that hour every day. And then you set down and do one or more of a combination of different things for that hour. You maybe listen to a couple songs. Um, maybe you read a page out of a devotional book. Maybe you read three or four chapters out of the Bible. Then you sit down to pray. And you're praying, and all of a sudden you run out of things to pray for. And you look at the clock, and it's 20 after 6. <laughs> and then you think, oh great, what am I going to do for the next 40 minutes? You wind up feeling guilty because you can't make that one hour. There was a Bible study out several years ago by one of the prominent um, preachers of the time. It was called, Could You Not Tarry for One Hour? It was based on the uh, Jesus in the garden when he come back and found the disciples sleeping. And he said, couldn't you tarry for one hour? And the study was about spending an hour a day with the Lord. It's a great concept. But what happened to a lot of people, they took that to mean, oh, I have to spend an hour with the Lord and I have to do it right now. So I'm going to spend an hour with the Lord starting tomorrow. They found it difficult to spend that hour because they weren't used to spending an hour. And then it just fell by the wayside. They felt like failures. They were frustrated. Okay, don't set a time like that and then try and grind it out every day if you're going to relentlessly pursue the Lord. Be consistent in your pursuit and watch the time you spend with Him increase more and more and more. If you're consistent in your pursuit, pretty soon that hour a day won't be enough to spend with the Lord. So don't set time limits or time frames. Make it more about prioritizing your time. Maybe there's things in your day that could be rearranged. Maybe there's things that could be reduced to allow you to spend more time with the Lord. Make more efficient use of your time. How many of you drive to work every day? Nobody. <clears throat> well, I have to go to work every day. 30 seconds. Most people that drive to work, you're probably going to be on the road between 15 and 45 minutes to get to work, right? What an opportunity. What an opportunity to make more efficient use of your time. Instead of just, now you've got to pay attention to what you're doing. But instead of just sitting there and watching the same trees and same fences and same road marks going by every day, use that time to relentlessly pursue the Lord. You can put, well, none of you probably have CDs anymore. You can hook your phone up to your car and listen to whatever type of gospel music you want and worship the Lord as you're driving. With technology today, you can have someone through the speakers in your car radio read the word to you as you're traveling to work. You can pray as you're traveling to work. That's an efficient use of your time. Rather than trying to carve out more time in the day, make more efficient use of the time you have to relentlessly pursue the Lord. Whatever works best for you, begin. You've got to start. Begin to pursue the Lord. As you relentlessly pursue Him, you will develop an intensely personal relationship with Him. How many is ready to relentlessly pursue the Lord? Okay, I can't dismiss till you're all in. So the sooner you get on board, the sooner we can get out of here. Okay? Now let's look at the difference in attitude and approach, just briefly, of those who relentlessly pursue and those who casually pursue or those who don't pursue at all. And we need to look no farther than the lives of Saul and David. Okay? 
Saul started off great. The people of Israel wanted a king. The Lord didn't want him to have one. He finally relented and said, okay, I'm going to give you a king. Saul was the man he chose. The prophet Samuel went and anointed Saul. Samuel 11:16. in one instance, it says, the Spirit of God came mightily upon Saul. This guy was on the right track. He was obeying the commands of the prophet. He was obeying the commands of the Lord. It wasn't long, though, before he stopped obeying before he stopped relentlessly pursuing the Lord and he began to think on his own, his own thoughts, his own ways. He began to focus on what he saw rather than how things were. He took things into his own hand. One time Samuel told him not to attack another army until Samuel himself had come and offered sacrifices. Saul began to look at the situation deteriorating around him and he offered the sacrifices himself. He no sooner finished than Samuel walks up and says, what are you doing? So the last thing you want is the man of God to walk up and say, what are you doing in that tone? Another time he was supposed to go against the Amalekites and destroy them all. Every person, every animal, everything. He spared the king, spared the best of the flocks, spared the best cattle and sheep. He didn't obey the Lord. The Bible says the Lord rejected him because of it. Saul, family, could have enjoyed a royal dynasty that went on forever but because of his disobedience, because he failed to relentlessly pursue the Lord, the Lord rejected him. God sends Samuel to anoint another to be king in his place. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, takes one look at the first son, looks at his appearance. Handsome man, looks at his height. This has gotta be the guy. It's gotta be him. There couldn't be another one better. God says no. Sometimes things just aren't the way we think they are, or they're not what they seem to be. I have to go to the doctor periodically. I've told you this before. I'm currently on, I'm on two medications for my blood pressure. I'm on one medication for my cholesterol. So I have to go, used to go every six months. Now I'm down to once a year. I have to go give blood two days from my appointment. They check my blood. They do what they call a lipid profile, which is a check of my cholesterol levels. They check the overall cholesterol, the HDL, the LDL, the triglycerides, the cholesterol, cholesterol ratio. Then with the other sample of blood, they do what they call a metabolic panel, where they check all the enzymes and chemicals in my body to make sure the pills aren't having a negative effect on the function of my body. Well, I guess November was the last time I went. And the doctor, as most will do, he says, got anything else, any concerns, any problems? I said, well, I'm a little concerned about my wife. <laughs> and he said, what's wrong? I said, she just doesn't seem to hear as good as she used to. <laughs> and he said, well, he said, find out how bad it is, and then bring her in. We'll see what we can do. I said, well, how am I going to do that? He said, well, get behind her and say something to her. And then keep moving up closer until she responds. And then you know how much hearing loss she suffered. And I said, okay. So a couple of weeks later, I'm sitting in the house, I'm in the living room, and I hear her out in the kitchen beginning to make supper. So I thought, here we go. I'm gonna do my test right now. So I come out of the living room around the corner, peeked around the corner. She's standing with a stove with her back to me. She's about 15 feet away. So I come out around the corner. I said, what's for supper, honey? She didn't say anything. So I snuck up, about, got about 10 feet away. I said, what's for supper, honey? She didn't say anything. I got right up behind her. I'm about four or five feet behind her. I said, what's for supper, honey? She wheeled around, glared at me and said, for the third time, chicken. <laughs> I 
Sometimes things are not how we think they are. <laughs> Samuel thought this first son has got to be him. He's got to be the king of Israel. And God says, no. The second one, the third one, the fourth one, all the way through seven sons, he rejects every one of them. Do you have any other sons? He's desperate at this point. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way we do. He looks at a person's thoughts and intentions. As soon as David comes, the Lord says, that's the one. Samuel anoints him to be king. Obviously, David, even in his youth, at his young age, David had more diligently pursued a relationship with God than his brothers had. It's interesting to note, I think, that in 1 Samuel eleven sixteen, in that one instance, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Saul. The Lord can come mightily on you anytime, place. But in Samuel 16, 13, after David was anointed, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day on. That's the difference between a casual pursuer or a non-pursuer and a relentless pursuer. A casual pursuer, the Lord may come upon you mightily. If you're a relentless pursuer, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you from that day forward. Amen. It will not leave you. Amen. It will not forsake you. Now later on in David's life, Goliath begins to challenge Israel. Notice the different reactions of those who fail to pursue the Lord and the one who does pursue the Lord. Goliath come out for 40 straight days, twice a day, and issued his challenge to the army of Israel. Send a man out to fight me. Twice a day for 40 days. The Bible says Saul and the Israelites were terrified and deeply shaken. Why were they terrified and deeply shaken? This is a king who'd had great success in battle. These were troops that weren't novices. They were experienced warriors, fighting men in the army of Israel. Well, for one thing, 1 Samuel 16, 14 says the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. Because of his failure to relentlessly pursue, the Spirit of the Lord had left him. He was afraid. Saul and Israel should have seen a mortal man out there. I don't care if he was almost 10 feet tall. They should have seen a mortal man. They should have seen a heathen, a blasphemer. They should have seen an enemy worthy of death. Instead, they saw a warrior. They saw an insurmountable object in their path, an enemy that they couldn't defeat. David, because of his relentless... Little David, of the king and the entire army, only David sees something different, something that no one else in the camp can see. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed? Why are you guys allowing this? Why is he allowed to defy the armies of the living God? His brother criticizes him for a statement. His brother doesn't understand the effects on a person of relentless pursuit. Saul criticized him. Saul no longer understood or no longer cared, one of the two, about relentless pursuit. But David knew. He says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. David took a sling and five stones with him as he ran out to face the giant. But he didn't come to the fight in the name of a sling and five stones. He come in the name of the Lord. Because of his relentless pursuit of the Lord, he knew that the battle was the Lord's. He knew that victory was the Lord's. What a statement that is. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Six little words in the name of the Lord. When you come in the name of the Lord, you come in the name of a covenant-keeping God. You come in the name of the Lord Most High. 
You come in the name of the Good Shepherd. You come in one who is present. In the name of one who is present. You come in the name of one who heals. You come in the name of one who sanctifies. These are just some of the things. All Think about all that's contained when you properly use the name of the Lord. When you relentlessly pursue Him to the point that you come in the name of the Lord. Think of everything that those six words contain. Powerful. Powerful. You can't lose. You can't be defeated. Now you can know of these benefits in your head, but you don't experience them and understand them in a way that's most beneficial to us without pursuing the one who is all these things. David's relationship caused him to look at the situation from a different perspective. Israel thought Goliath was too big to fight. David thought Goliath was too big to miss. He'd served the Lord his whole life. The Bible says there was none other like King David. Now he messed up a few times, took a census, and he shouldn't have. Had to repent of that. Of course, we know he's a big one. He paid dearly for that. He messed up. He made mistakes. Relentless pursuit will not guarantee you perfection. Okay, but because of his relentless pursuit, in spite of his mistakes, he was able to see the error of his ways, able to humble himself, king of Israel. Everybody worshiping him, everyone seeing good things about him. He could point and have you killed or you spared anytime he wanted to, unlimited power. But he was humble enough through his relentless pursuit of the Lord to confess his sin when he realized it, to repent of his sin, and to take steps to restore his relationship with the one, with his pursuer, and to begin again to pursue relentlessly his Lord. Now let's get a little more personal with this. Now don't panic when I say personal. A couple of weeks ago in communion, I used the term, go deep spiritually. And I said, what I believe that means, I believe that part of relentlessly pursuing the Lord is being open to allowing the Lord to challenge us and to examine us, every area of our life. If we really want a deeper relationship with the Lord, I don't believe we can hold back certain parts of our life and not allow Him access to those parts. Okay, like we want to keep control of a little bit of something, or we just, we want to keep this part for ourselves so we can make the decisions on this. We can't do that. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Free from what? Free from sin, of course. But perhaps also freedom from wrong thinking. As I said, we're allowing God to examine every area of our life. Freedom from wrong thinking. Freedom from bad ideas. Maybe freedom from incorrect doctrine. Okay? I'm not saying you've got incorrect doctrine. I'm saying I think we need to be open through our pursuit of the Lord to allow Him to expose those things, to reveal those things to us if they are there. And then allow Him to take them out. It's being willing to challenge our own thinking or allowing our thinking to be challenged in regard to ideas or opinions we form concerning the things of God. I said two weeks ago that sometimes we can bend spiritual principles or twist them in a way that we would like them to work 
or in a way that they work more convenient for us. Remember Gideon and his fleece? As he sought the Lord's direction on what he should do, he's going to lay a fleece out before the Lord. He says, Lord, if this is your will, then let the ground be covered with dew, let this piece of cloth be dry in the morning. He goes out in the morning, the ground is covered with dew, the cloth is dry. I don't remember what order they were in. The next day he says, all right, now tonight, let the ground be dry, let the cloth be covered in dew. He goes out the next morning, the ground is dry, the cloth is covered with dew. I tried that once. <laughs> Not with a cloth. I don't know, I was maybe 12 years old. And there's something I'm praying about. God, do I go this way? Do I go that way? Kind of wanted to go this way. Probably was supposed to go this way. I wasn't getting an answer. At 12 years old, my dad told me I was old enough to buy my own gun. Now, believe it or not, in 1972, you could send away for a gun and have it delivered by the United States Post Office right to your door. So I sent through the Sears catalog for this beautiful lever action 22 rifle. Oh, I wanted that gun bad. And it was back ordered. And it was delayed. And it was back ordered. I'd call Sears. It's on back order. It's on back order. All right, I'm going to throw a fleece out here. Oh God, I begin to pray. You know I want your will for my life. You know this thing I'm asking for. God, if this is not what I'm supposed to do as a sign that I may know your will, let my new gun come in the mail tomorrow. I couldn't lose. I was either going to get the thing I wanted or I was going to get my gun if I couldn't have that. See, my heart really wasn't in that. I wasn't really interested in the will of God. I just wanted what I wanted. Don't throw a fleece out that way. I used the example of comfort two weeks ago. Comfort is most often associated with mourning. So then, because we're in mourning, and because we're in something that's causing us sorrow and grief, we would like comfort to mean the removal of that thing that requires comfort in our lives. But if we get our way, we don't learn the true meaning of the comfort of the Lord. Remember I said we learn more and mature more during the difficult times than we do during the easy times? Now, our Christian life is constantly compared to a building, walls and foundation. All my life, I've heard that comparison, we use that comparison. When we added onto the house when I was a kid, dug a hole out next to the existing structure, they laid a foundation. It was solid, it was one piece basically. As Soon as that foundation set up, we begin to stack blocks up on the foundation to form the walls. I believe our foundation should be solid yet simple. Perhaps our foundation should be, and I'm not telling you what your foundation should be, I'm telling you what I believe it should be and what I try to make mine. Okay, perhaps the foundation for our building should be nothing more than Jesus Christ and salvation through his blood. That's a solid foundation. That's a foundation that can't be questioned. That's foundation that doesn't need to be examined. Okay? Salvation through his shed blood. I don't think there should be a lot of things in the foundation. I think it should be kept simple. I think it should be solid, indisputable. If your foundation, if you have such foundation, you do. If your foundation is Jesus Christ and him crucified, never, never, ever question it. Never let anyone else question it. Don't let friends or family question it. Don't let an enemy come to you and say, hath God said. 
That's how you're saved. That's how you get to God. Adam and Eve had a foundation. You know what their foundation was? You may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it, for in the day you do, you'll surely die. That was their foundation. They didn't get two blocks stacked up on the wall before they destroyed it because they let an enemy come in and question the foundation. Never let an enemy come in and question your foundation. Don't let anyone question it. Now, whatever isn't in your foundation, in your Christian walk, is a block in the wall. Okay? This can include, but not limited to, it might be some things you learned as a young boy or young girl in Sunday school. That can be a block in your foundation. Things the Lord's spoken to you through your Christian life are blocks in your foundation. Things you learned from Paul Tucker are blocks in your foundation, or on your wall, I mean. Your thoughts on prayer, blocks in the wall. Your thoughts on tithing, blocks on the wall. Your thoughts on worship, blocks in the wall. Okay? Those, they're important things, they're good things, but those are not foundational things. Your foundation is what brings salvation. Everything else is a block in the wall. Tithing is important. Thoughts on worship are important, but tithing does not bring salvation. Worship does not bring salvation. That's not part of the foundation. That's a block in the wall, okay? Foundation represents the way to salvation. Blocks in the wall represent your walk with the Lord. So we're not going to examine the foundation if it's solid and if it's sure. But the blocks in the wall to relentlessly pursue the Lord, I believe we have to be willing to allow him to examine those blocks from time to time, allow those blocks to be challenged. You see, over time, a block can become damaged and need to be replaced. Sometimes a block can be incorrect and it needs to be corrected. Sometimes a block can be outdated and simply needs to be renewed and freshened up. In your relentless pursuit of the Lord, allow Him to replace any old damaged blocks that may be in your wall with new solid blocks. Now let me give you an example from my dad's life. Let's begin to bring this to a close to illustrate what I'm talking about with these blocks in the wall that should be examined, okay? Now I'm not telling you this to make fun of my dad. I'm not telling you to criticize my dad, okay? On the, I revere the man. I would, I respect him too much to criticize him or to make fun of things he believed. But um, he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. But I, I won't criticize him, as I said, for those mistakes. I share this with you simply for the purpose of education, understanding of what I'm talking about. Okay? My dad was a stubborn man. A lot of you don't know him. The ones you do, you know I speak the truth. He was a stubborn man. Once he became convinced of something, um, it was no longer open for discussion. We used to, back in the day, before 1984, I believe, our system of church government was board members and the congregation voted on everything. If we wanted to repair the roof, we voted. If we wanted to buy new chairs, we voted, okay? Board members, if you didn't show up for the business meeting on a Wednesday night, you might show up Sunday and find out you're a board member now. 
they were, we had three board members, they were elected to three year terms, so each year we elected another board member. And the way we would do it is we'd look and see who showed up that night. Well, Bob doesn't want to be a board member anymore, so floor is open for board members. Russell's here, he's a good guy. I nominate Russell. I second. All right, then we'd vote. Russell would be a board member. If he got one vote, he was a board member because there was never two guys again. You know, that's how we did it back then. One time they voted on something. I don't even remember what it was. It, say it was something about repairing the roof. And there were two schools of thought on it. We can go this way, we can go this way. The majority wanted to go this way. My dad voted with the majority. Okay, this is the way we're going to do it. Well, there were two old rascals in the church at the time who really liked to have things their way and liked to be in control. And they had voted the other way in the minority, and they badgered that pastor and harassed him about, we want to do it this way, we want to do it this way, we want to do it this way. He finally just threw his hands up, I think, in frustration to get him off his back and said, okay, we'll do it your way. This so infuriated my dad that he never voted on anything again for the rest of the time we voted. He said, there's no point voting because they're just going to do what they want anyway. He'd get his piece of paper, he'd either fold it up and put it in his pocket, or he'd turn it in blank. I remember they'd, they'd have people vote, and then someone would collect the votes, and then two guys would go out and count them, and a lot of times I'd go out with one of the older men and count the votes, and I'd be going through them, opening them up, yes, no, yes, and I'd come to a blank one, and I'd look at the guy and say, there's Dad's vote. <laughs> he refused to ever vote on anything else again for as long as we voted. He was a stubborn man. One of the only people I ever met who could match him stubborn for stubborn was my mom. <laughs> I never had a chance. Yes. I was bound to be stubborn. There's no way I wasn't going to be stubborn, and I am. Now, you can check with my wife and see if this is true. I try and work on it. I try and do better. I try not to be stubborn all the time, but I am stubborn. You see that? Do you all know what that is? That's stubborn. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a flip phone. Okay? There's something wrong with me having this one. It's about 15 years old. It drops calls. Well, I shouldn't say that. My wife and son and daughter say that it drops calls. I say their phones drop calls. <laughs> so we agree to disagree, okay? But it's getting wore out. When I'm texting, I'll push the number four three times to get the letter I, and I'll get the G and the H too sometimes because the pad just doesn't make a good, so then I have to backspace and start over and everything. My wife said, you need to go get it. You should go get it. I paid my son for his used phone 10 months ago and it's still sitting in the cupboard because I haven't taken it and upgraded to the new one. My wife said, you should go and get your phone changed over tomorrow. I said, I can't do it tomorrow, I'm working. She said, Josh and I will take it and do it for you. I said, no. I said, I want to be there when they pull the plug. <laughs> Stubborn. We lose branches. We have one maple tree that's got a big dead limb right up in the middle of it, way out in the corner of the property. We get a storm or some wind, branches fall off of it. You look out in the morning, there'll be two, three branches laying out there in the yard, dead branches. Well, my wife, she wants to go out there, grab those branches, 
and drag them 60, 70 yards over behind the shed and throw them in the pile where we put things like that. Well, I like two branches are here, the shed's there. I like to start mowing the yard here and go for a few strips and then I'll bend over and pick up the branches and move them into the part I mowed and then I'll mow that side and this side and then next week I'll come over here and mow a few more strips and move the branch. Within six or seven weeks the branches are over by the shed. All I have to do is just throw them on the pile then. She just cannot see the flawless logic in my plan. She just doesn't get it. She's a little stubborn too. Now there was one particular, did I mention he was stubborn? There was one particular block in his wall. I'll ask the, the musicians come at this time if they would. There's a little chorus we used to sing. Very simple. It said, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. For I'm trusting in his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. Wonderful little song. And it makes us think of the promises of God. We think of the promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We think of the promise, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised it from the dead, you shall be saved. We, 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 we recall, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Those are all wonderful promises of the Lord. But I said when Dad got something in his mind and became convinced of it, there was no more discussion. Well, the Bible also says, he grabbed onto a verse. I don't remember exactly which one he grabbed onto, but it was something like the verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where Paul said, don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Dad said, that's a promise I don't want. He would not sing that song because he viewed that as a promise. That was a block that he'd put in that wall. Dad, that's not a promise. I will not sing that song. That's a result of a certain type of behavior on our part that you're not going to have part of the kingdom. I won't sing that song. I don't want that promise. For the rest of his life, whenever we'd sing that song, he would stand there and not sing. Those are the kind of blocks I'm talking about. I don't criticize you if you have blocks like that. I'm saying in your relentless pursuit of the Lord, allow those blocks to be examined and inspected by the Lord and allow him to remove them. Because if he removes a block from your wall, he's not going to leave a hole in there. He's going to put a better block in. Okay? Became an incorrect block in his wall, one that should have been replaced but he wouldn't allow it. He wouldn't allow it for the rest of his life. There was a time, now he softened up considerably in his, in his later years. There was a time where he just wouldn't worship. We used to set up front here and I'd look, you know, you could look out over the congregation and worship. He wouldn't worship. He would stand there with his hands in his pockets looking at the floor. He might pick up a Bible during worship and he'd sit there flicking through pages. He'd pull a jackknife out and be cleaning his fingernails, but he wouldn't worship. But then, the last few years, you'd look back there, singing, eyes closed. I never sang with two hands raised, one hand or the other hand, one at a time, but worshiping. That block he was able to remove 
and allow it to be replaced with a better one. So as you stand with me this morning, as you begin, as you continue to relentlessly pursue the Lord, passionately seek after Him. Seek Him, love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And allow Him to examine the blocks in your wall. Allow Him to do an inspection. Be open to Him removing damaged, broken blocks and replacing them with brand new blocks. Amen? Father, we just thank you today. We ask you this day each one of us would begin a journey of relentless pursuit of you, Lord. I ask that you'd give us wisdom in our pursuit. Help us to craft a way to do that that will lead to a deeper, more personal relationship with you, Lord. Help us to allow those things in our life that shouldn't be there to be examined and to be removed and replaced with something better, Father. Just ask that you'd bless this people, bless their week. Just ordain a wonderful time this weekend with the family camp, Lord. We just thank you for it. We give you all the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name.